0: Introduction. Folge or board, welcome aboard, and thank you for choosing to sail with Aran Island Ferries. We hope you have enjoyed your time exploring the beautiful Aran Islands and are now ready to set sail to the spectacular Cliffs of Moher, one of Ireland's most iconic landmarks. The cliffs are visited by over a million people every year. Today we will offer you the chance to view the cliffs from the water so you can truly appreciate their vast scale and rugged beauty. Measuring around 8 kilometres or 5 miles long and towering up to 200 metres or 700 feet high, the Cliffs of Mohor are at least twice the height of famous landmarks such as the Statue of Liberty and the Elizabeth Tower, which houses Big Ben. The enormous scale of the cliffs has inspired artists and writers for generations, as well as providing an important haven for wildlife. On our tour today, we will hear about how the Cliffs of Moher were formed and discover some of the stories connected to this iconic landscape. After the cliffs, Our journey will take us along the famous Wild Atlantic Way, past the rocky Burren and into Galway Bay. Throughout the trip, our onboard guide will help you to discover the rich history, folklore and heritage that surrounds us. Our voyage will end in Galway City, a place famous for the vibrant artistic and social life and wonderful medieval heritage. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the stunning views. Natural Heritage of the Atlantic Ocean Throughout our journey today, we will be crossing the Atlantic. From the west coast of Europe to the east coast of America, this ocean covers about 20% of the Earth's surface. Its cold, dark waters crash against Ireland's shoreline every minute of every day, eroding the land to create towering cliffs, intriguing sea caves and a rugged coastline now famously known as the Wild Atlantic Way. Though the waters can be wild and unpredictable, This part of the Atlantic is home to a wonderful array of wildlife. Between April and August these waters are frequented by the second largest fish on the planet, the basking shark. These sharks have long lifespans and can grow up to 12 meters or 39 feet in length. They have enormous jaws that open up to one meter wide but thankfully These sharks only eat plankton and small fish. The dark depths beneath our boat are also home to blue sharks, poor beagle sharks and the lesser spotted dogfish. If we are lucky, we might be joined by bottlenose dolphins, harbour porpoise or even catch a glimpse of a humpback whale. Some of the more common fish that can be found in these waters include pollock, mackerel and sprat. These fish travel hundreds if not thousands of kilometres across the Atlantic to feed and breed. For example, mackerel will swim over 5,000 kilometres a year between their feeding grounds in the North Atlantic and their breeding grounds here in the west of Ireland. Besides fish, the ocean floor is home to numerous other sea creatures, including lobster, a prized catch for the local fishermen. As we sail around, you may see red boys bobbing on the waves. These boys are connected to a cage that sits on the ocean floor. Every few days, local fishermen will check the cages for lobster. If any of their catch is too young, too small or endangered, they will be thrown back into the water to live another day. The skies above can be as busy as the waters below. The cliffs of Moher themselves are home to over 30,000 pairs of seabirds during the nesting period from April to July. The cliffs are designated as a special protected area for birds for the populations of Guillemot and Razorbill as well as significant numbers of puffins, kittiwakes, and fulmar. Though the squawks and screeches can be deafening near their cliffside nests, you'll rarely hear them as they hunt. They silently swoop, circle, and plunge into the water to catch their prey. Some of these impressive birds are spectacular divers especially the Guillemots, who can descend up to 180 metres, nearly 600 feet below the water surface. Almost as deep as the height of the Cliffs of Moher. Keep an eye out for these great divers as we make our way into Galway Bay. The Aran Islands you can enjoy wonderful views of the Aran Islands as we leave them behind. Many of you have had the chance to explore some of the island's impressive sights, such as the spectacular stone forts like Dún Ængasa, or the famous wormhole Polná Inish Inishmoor is also renowned for its early monastic heritage, with atmospheric ruins of churches and monasteries like Kilena, which was founded in the 6th century by St Aina or St Enda. Legend has it that St Aina sailed to the islands on a boat made of stone. When he landed, he began converting the islanders to Christianity and soon set up a school where he taught many of Ireland's best known saints. Over 1,500 years later, another boat called Nave acted as a vital connection between the islands and the mainland during the 20th century. This sturdy ship carried mail and passengers across the water until the 1980s. Now harboured in Dublin, the Nave is due to be scrapped. However, locals are currently campaigning to have it restored. In the future, they hope to turn the Neveena into a floating hostel, restaurant, and microbrewery. Though our boat today is similar in size to the Neveena, we can bring passengers from Galway City to the Aran Islands in less than half the time. The next island is Inishman, or the Middle Island. It is the least populated of the three Aran Islands and featured as the setting for the playwright John Millington Singh to write his seminal plays The Playboy of the Western World and Riders to the Sea. Inishir is the smallest and most easterly island. If you scan the shoreline, you may be able to see the remains of the Plassy shipwreck perhaps best known from the opening shots of the famous comedy Father Ted. Though the ship has perhaps a more distinguished story to tell. It originally served as a Royal Navy minesweeper in the Second World War and took part in Operation Torch, the Allied landings in French North Africa. It was sold into the Irish Merchant Service as a cargo ship until it was caught in a severe storm in 1960, eventually being washed on shore to its final resting place on Inishir. While all three islands are unique and have their own history, they share many similarities. They are all part of the Gaelthacht, a region where the Irish language is predominantly spoken. Even though the majority of people in Ireland speak English as their everyday language, Irish or Gaeilge is the official first language of the Republic of Ireland. However, the Irish language has survived and thrived here among the islanders. To revive the language, students from the age of 5 to 18 must study Irish in school. To improve their skills, hundreds of students from the mainland descend on the Aran Islands every summer to stay in the islanders' homes and to learn from the native speakers. They attend Irish classes, speak Irish with their host families, attend dances and make friends while immersing themselves in the language. The Burren as we say, the coastline of one of Ireland's most magical landscapes comes closer into view. This is the Burren, a spectacular place of stone that was formed from the bodies of countless sea creatures that lived around 350 million years ago in a shallow, warm, tropical sea 10 degrees south of the equator. Before they died, and along with their surrounding sediments were gradually compressed and compacted into limestone. Over millions of years the Earth's tectonic plates moved these limestone hills across the equator to their current location, 15 degrees south of the Arctic Circle. The great glaciers of the Ice Age acted as master sculptors, carving and grinding down the once rugged mountains into the more gentle slopes that we see today. While in more recent millennia, the Atlantic winds and waves have added their flourishes too. Today, the acidic rain continues to gradually dissolve gullies and deep crevices into the limestone pavements, with the water gradually dripping down to unknowable depths, forming fast-flowing underground rivers. The name Burren derives from the Irish Burren, meaning a rocky place. And though at first glance it can look rather stark and unforgiving, it is a place teeming with life, with rare wildflowers growing in the cracks or grikes in the limestone pavement, and moss shrouded hazel woods that is home to foxes, pine martens and wild goats. It is one of Ireland's most important habitats with species found nowhere else in Ireland, and unique pockets of woodland known as Celtic rainforests. The limestone pavements are occasionally littered with large rocks that were picked up by the ancient glaciers of the Ice Age. When temperatures rose, the glacier melted and the rocks were dropped in situ. To explain this strange landscape with its huge cracks and large boulders, local folklore claimed giants once roamed this land. Their excessive weight caused the earth beneath their feet to crack, while the random boulders were believed to have been flung by the giants. Legend even claims that the Aran Islands were once stones that were thrown from the Burren by a giant many years ago. Local legend was not entirely right about the formation of the Aran Islands. They are not stones thrown by giants. However, the myths are not entirely wrong either. In the past, the Aran Islands were connected to the Burren, but rising sea levels and coastal erosion cut them off from the mainland. To this day, the same type of karst limestone with its grikes and glacial erratics can be found on the three Aran Islands and in the Burren. Though some find the Burren enchanting, others were not quite as enamoured by what they saw as a desolate landscape. When Oliver Cromwell's army marched through this area in 1651, his soldiers commented that it is a country where there is not water enough to drown a man, wood enough to hang a man, nor earth enough to bury one. This is a truly historic landscape. Ireland's oldest known megalithic tomb, Poulnabrone, is one of the most iconic monuments. But the burren teems with ancient forts and serene monasteries holy wells, castles and tower houses, all waiting to be discovered. If the weather is clear, you may now see the cliffs of Moher appearing on the horizon. Measuring around 8 kilometres or 5 miles long and towering up to 200 metres or 700 feet high, The Cliffs of Moher are at least twice the height of famous landmarks such as the Statue of Liberty and the Elizabeth Tower which houses Big Ben. This magnificent coastline was formed over 300 million years ago. That's around 50 million years before dinosaurs walked the earth and over 200 million years before modern humans evolved. Two hundred years ago, the British viewed the stunning scenery of Ireland's western coastline as an easy access point for their dreaded enemy, Napoleon. They feared he would invade Britain via Ireland, so to avoid this, the British army built hundreds of defensive towers along our western coast. The silhouette of one of these towers can be seen before you. This was a signal tower built in 1808 to communicate messages with passing ships and other towers along the coast. These messages were relayed by hoisting different coloured flags, which warned of ships' movements in the waters. Just seven years after the tower was built, Napoleon was defeated in the Battle of Waterloo by the Irish-born Duke of Wellington. With the threat of invasion significantly diminished, the signal towers became obsolete and were soon abandoned. The ruins of the signal tower here at the Cliffs of Moher stand in an area commonly referred to as the Hag's Head. This area takes its name from an unfortunate woman called Mal, who had fallen deeply infatuated with Ireland's legendary hero Cú Chulainn. Sadly. Cú did not share Mal's feelings of love and tried to avoid them at all costs. Not getting the hint, Mal chased Cú all over Ireland until they reached Loop Head. Here, Cú was cornered by Mal but instead of succumbing to her unwanted love he leapt across the narrow sea stacks towards the Cliffs of Moher. Mal tried to follow our great hero but did not have his balance and agility. She stumbled and fell to her death. As she fell, her face smashed against the cliff, which turned the rock red and gave the area its unflattering name, Hag's Head. Mal's true name lives on in the bay beside the cliffs of Moher, which is called Mal Bay. It is hard to imagine, but these colossal cliffs were created by layers of mud, silt and sand that were compacted and turned into solid rock over millennia. The different compacted layers can be seen in the different coloured bands that stretch horizontally across the cliffs. The lighter coloured rock is Numerian sandstone and the darker coloured bands are siltstone and shale. Each line of rock is a sort of time capsule containing fossils of plants, insects, and marine animals that were trapped between the layers of sediment millions of years ago. Due to its sedimentary makeup, the stone breaks into large sheets or flags, which are ideal for building materials. For many years, humans have quarried this rock and used it to build houses, decorate fireplaces and even tile roofs. Perhaps the conveniently breakable stone was used over a thousand years ago to build O'Ruín's fort here on the cliffs. This fort, which has now been destroyed, was known in Irish as An moher e Ruin, meaning the Ruin of O'Ruín. Over the centuries, Anmoher e Ruin was shortened to Anmoher and soon became known in English as the Cliffs of Moher. If the Cliffs of Moher look familiar to you, it's possibly because you have seen them before. Their jaw-dropping beauty has attracted the attention of artists and directors who have used them in a number of movies, music videos and TV shows over the past 50 years. For any Harry Potter fans, the sea cave featured in the sixth movie Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Standing on a sea stack on a dark cloudy day, Dumbledore and Harry looked towards this cave which Voldemort used to hide one of his horcruxes. For those of you who are fans of the 1987 cult classic The Princess Bride, you may recognise the cliffs as the Cliffs of Insanity. It was here that Wesley relentlessly chased Inego, Physique, and Vizzini in search of the kidnapped Princess Buttercup. Besides these two iconic movies, the Cliffs of Moher featured in Leap Year, Ryan's Daughter and The Guns of Navarone. They were also used in a number of music videos. Though they may look immense and immovable, the cliffs themselves are not a static entity. Coastal erosion continues to sculpt these magnificent marvels. The stormy Atlantic relentlessly chews away with every wave, breaking down some of the lower strata of softer stone and causing sections of the cliffs to collapse. This can be seen at the Brannan Moor sea stack. This freestanding pillar is all that remains of a collapsed section of cliff, whose layers of stone now lie beneath the waves. If you look above Brannan Moor to the top of the cliffs, you will see O'Brien's Tower. Built in 1835 by local landowner and Member of Parliament, Cornelius O'Brien, this tower was designed to give visitors an elevated view over the cliffs. O'Brien's Tower is still used by visitors today. It proudly stands 214 metres, or 702 feet, above sea level and marks the highest point of the Cliffs of Moher. The Cliffs of Moher are one of Ireland's most important seabird habitats, with the largest kittiwake and razorbill colonies in the country, along with fulmar, herring, and black-backed gulls, shags, guillemots, and the peregrine falcon, the fastest bird on the planet that can reach 240 kilometres per hour, and perhaps the most popular of all, the Atlantic Puffin, that can be best seen around Goat Island. With their cute and colourful appearance, it's easy to think of puffins as being charismatic clowns in comparison to some of their neighbours. But these little birds are hardy and tenacious. They typically spend the autumn and winter out in the wild, open ocean with dull-coloured beaks and feet. As spring approaches, their bright colours return and they head back to the same burrows they left the previous autumn to reunite with their mates. Puffins have one of the lowest divorce rates in the animal kingdom, with 93% remaining with the same mate for life. They can stay paired up for over 30 years. They lay just a single egg in early summer, which parents take turns incubating until it hatches. Then they take turns provisioning the puffling chick until it fledges in late summer. As autumn begins, the puffin families separate again, heading back out on their winter migration some heading as far as the eastern coast of Canada. Puffin numbers are increasing at the Cliffs of Moor. However, their population in other parts of Ireland and mainland Europe is unfortunately dwindling fast, and these charismatic birds are now on the red list of species facing possible extinction in the near future. Threats include overfishing and climate change. Galway Bay we are now entering the wide mouth of Galway Bay measuring up to 50 kilometres or 30 miles long this bay has brought thousands of sailors over the centuries to the great port of Galway their journey was not always as smooth as ours is now back in the 16th century our boat may have been attacked by pirates under the command of the famous pirate queen Gráinne Whale, or Grace O'Malley. Born into the powerful O'Malley family of County Mayo in around 1530, Gráinne was brought up with salt water in her veins and mastered sailing in the difficult waters of the Atlantic Ocean. As she grew older, she commanded a fleet of ships that she used to raid trading vessels and settlements along Ireland's western coast. Naturally, she gained a bad reputation with the merchants living in Galway City. They organised an attack on Gráinne's home, and in revenge, she sailed her ships into Galway Bay and blockaded the port, stopping any goods from entering or leaving. This only increased the enmity of the ruthless English governor of Connacht, Richard Bingham. Hostilities came to a head when Bingham murdered Gráinne's eldest son, captured her other sons and destroyed her revenue. Gronia quickly sent a message to Queen Elizabeth I of England, asking for her family's release and for Bingham to be replaced. Queen Elizabeth's courtiers reportedly responded by sending lots of paperwork. Frustrated with this bureaucratic response, Gráinne sailed over 800 nautical miles to London, where she and her men rowed up the River Thames to Greenwich Palace. According to legend, Gráinne was given an audience with the Queen. However, she refused to bow. Many others would have lost their heads over this disrespect, but according to the story, the Irish-speaking Pirate Queen and the Queen of England conversed amicably in Latin. After their meeting, Queen Elizabeth ordered the release of Gráinne's sons and had Bingham temporarily dismissed from his role. We need not fear Bingham's vengeance, or the threat of pirates on the bay anymore. Instead, you are more likely to see another piece of history Galway Bay is famous for, its hookers or boats. These traditional fishing vessels are called hookers because of the hook and line fishing technique used by the sailors. They also have distinctive red sails, coloured using a dye derived from tree bark. Though hooker boats were used for centuries, by 1970 only two remained in Galway Bay. To ensure this traditional craft survived, a revival began and soon the bay was full of these vessels again. The O'Brien family of Connemara, who own and operate Aran Island ferries, even owns a hooker called Antoni. This beautiful boat was built back in 1892 and was used in the 1970s to transport passengers and mail to the Aran Islands, much like we do today. Antony has even participated in the three-day boat festival, known as Crinyu Namod, or the Gathering of the Boats, which is held annually here in Galway Bay. During the festival, local sailors race their hookers to the delight of spectators And afterwards, everyone enjoys an evening of celebrations with live traditional music, great food and drink. It is well worth visiting if you are here in August. Galway Port and the Cladder. Before us stands Galway City. Founded in the 1200s, Galway prospered under the control of 13 wealthy merchant families known as the tribes of Galway. Between the 1400s and the 1600s, the tribes helped to make Galway a vital seaport on the west coast of Ireland. Large ships laden with exotic goods constantly sailed into Galway port, from Saint Malo in France, Seville in Spain, Newfoundland in Canada ...and even as far as the West Indies. After arriving in the port, much-needed goods such as wine, spices and silks... ...were unloaded, valued and then sold in the markets. Not all the goods coming in and out of Galway were from such far-flung and exotic places... Most of the time the port was filled with local fishing vessels from the nearby Cladda village. The people of this village were very different from their well-to-do Anglo-Norman neighbours. They spoke native Irish, not English, and they periodically elected their own king, who upheld their unique laws. The men of the Cladda were renowned as great fishermen, and often sailed their hookers in Galway Bay. One of their boats did not raise the traditional red sail, but rather a crisp white sail caught the breeze and let everyone know that the king of the cladda was on board. Excess fish from their catch was sold by the women of the cladda who wore brightly coloured clothes, consisting of blue shawls and red petticoats. They would cry out the name and price of their catch in Galway's port and markets and sing charming songs, including this one. I am a clad of boatman bold, humble is my calling. I work and toil from morn till night, in Galway Bay I'm trawling. I care not for the big man's frown, I ask not for his favour. My wants are few, no debts I owe, I live on honest labour. Sadly, industrial fishing trawlers brought an end to the Cladda's fishing industry. In the 1930s, the traditional patch houses of the Cladder were demolished and replaced with council houses, to attempt to halt the spread of the deadly disease tuberculosis. Over time, the Cladder was no longer seen as a distinctive village with its own unique culture and soon became another suburb of Galway. Today, the cladda is remembered in the name of a popular gold ring, supposedly designed by Richard Joyce in the 1600s. While Richard was on his way to the West Indies, he and his crew were captured by pirates. Richard was sold as a slave to a goldsmith in Algeria, where he learned to create fine jewellery. When he was finally released, he returned home to the cladda and created a ring for his beloved. This ring depicts two hands holding a heart, topped by a crown, which is thought to mean, let love and friendship reign. Now known as the cladder ring, this symbol of love is extremely popular throughout Ireland. But beware of how you wear it. The ring's position on your hand can tell a prospective admirer if you are looking for love or happily married. Conclusion We are now entering Galway City a place famous for being the cultural heart of Ireland When you exit the boat you are only a short stroll from the famous Spanish arch a remnant of the city's once formidable medieval walls The arch is a great place to relax and soak up Galway's atmosphere as locals gather here in the late afternoon and evening to eat, chat and enjoy live music Beside the Spanish Arch stands Galway City Museum, which gives excellent insight into the area's history. Nearby is the Latin Quarter, where you can discover amazing medieval architecture among the city's renowned restaurants and lively pubs. However you decide to spend the rest of your stay in Galway, we hope you have enjoyed your trip with us to the Aran Islands and the Cliffs of Moher. Aran Island Ferries sail all year round to the islands from Rossaville Harbour in Connemara. So, if you'd like to hear more great history and see the rugged western coastline again, book your next return journey at aranislandferries.com. You can also follow Aran Island Ferries on social media for the latest updates and use the hashtag Aran Island Ferries. From the O'Brien family, the captain, and all of the crew who made today's voyage possible, we would like to wish you the best of luck and say slong fall, which means farewell for now in Irish. This audio guide was produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Arran Island Ferries. You can discover more of Ireland's stories on AbartaHeritage.ie. Or you can find us on your favourite podcast platform.